You're listening to The Open Podcasts. Steve Bottomley, a new name. He's been uh, around for quite a while. He's 30 years of age. He really has been a journeyman pro. Don't get afraid now, lad. If you can finish with three or four pars, three pars, who knows, you might nick it. The Open Championship is known for its incredible winners. From Harry Varden to Peter Thompson, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson and Tiger Woods. But the Open Championship also offers up a chance for anybody to play and succeed in one of the biggest sporting events in the world. For Stephen Bottomley, a journeyman pro who visited the European Tour Qualifying School eight times, the Open gave him that chance. In 1995, at the old course, a course he had not played before and has not played since, the 862nd ranked player in the world took full advantage of his opportunity. The result was something truly magical. So then I said to Joe, all we need to do now, in theory, is we need to take that swing that we found on the practice ground and take it to St Andrews. So if we just take it to St Andrews and I swing it the same as I've done today, I was putting well. I thought anything good happened here. This is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Stephen Bottomley. Bottomley was born in Bradford in 1965 and picked up the game of golf at the age of 10 after his family moved close to Shipley Golf Club in Bingley parents moved uh, close to a golf course when I was two and a half. I've got one elder brother and uh, we're a seven iron from the local club called Shipley Golf Club where I, I ended up starting golf at the age of 10 which for a, for a golfer that uh, ended up on the European soil is quite late. Um, all these guys that I sort of played with they all started at like three and four. However I began my brother taught me golf um, started at 10 and then just before my 16th birthday I was I was off scratch handicap. Uh, clearly I had a little bit of, uh, I was a bit gifted trying to hold putts and chip and putt and I just lived on the golf course like a lot of uh, a lot of the guys that have done, been successful and probably a lot more successful than I was. So then my goal really was to turn pro, I wanted to see how good I was in the big field. In 1987, still playing as an amateur, Bottomley qualified for the 116th Open Championship held at Muirfield. Uh, I'd qualified for my first Open as an amateur at Muirfield in 80, 1987 when the famous Nick Faldo made his 18 pars. And that's as brave a short putt I've seen in a many day. Well done, Nick Faldo. 18 pars. I remember uh, getting my tea time on the first day. I thought, oh, I'm out at 10 past eight. I mean, bearing in mind, you know, the first hole at Muirfield, as we all know, is quite a difficult long par four. It's about 460 from memory. The fairway looked about two foot wide. The roof was four foot high. Uh, I thought, ten past eight, I'll get away with no spectators. I get on the first tee, there's about 4,000 spectators and uh, and adrenaline did did sort of turn brown a little bit. But uh, we managed to make a double bogey on the first, which was good. Uh, I was proper nervous. Anybody that's played it, anybody that's been fortunate enough or good enough to qualify for an Open on the first tee, if you're not nervous, you've got a problem. (laughs) You've got a problem. Even the likes of Tiger Woods now, even or everybody, even Jack Nicholas, it's how you handle the nerves. 
and obviously that you know the more the more times you get into position to to play in an open or, or be in a position to win a tournament the more you, you're adapted to you get, you get a little bit more used to um you know handling the pressure was i nervous yes i was very nervous i did i was very happy to just even make contact with the ball never mind about and uh you know, at that time, I'm off plus two. A plus two then was quite difficult to get to in my day. It was with the, with the clubs we used and everything else. Uh, an amateur, my first open. It was a great learning curve for my next open. And then, then my next open and then my next open. And I thought, oh, I'm used to this. I know what to expect. But I was still nervous in the next opens that I qualified for. <laughs> so I shot 81, uh, 73 and clearly missed the cut. The weather was horrendous. You know the the noise, and even even when you're missing the cut, the noise it was fantastic, and I, you know that it gave me the appetite to carry on. Really, I thought I quite like this. This is quite nice. This. <laughs> Shortly after playing in the Open Championship, and with a taste to prove himself at the next level, Bottomley turned professional and entered tour school in 1988, where he gained his European tour card at the first time of asking. And I turned pro at the age of 22. And uh, went to tour school with the likes of Monty, uh, who I played for Yorkshire with. Uh, got my tour card at La Manga, where there was, it, it was a bit different in my day. There was 236 golfers and the top 50 got their tour card. And then I set off on my journey with, from memory, 1,800 quid. And then I ran out of money after about, I ran out of money for about eight events because I, I, I realised they were all quite good out there. <laughs> It didn't take long, however, until the Englishman faced an uphill battle to retain his playing privileges, one that would last nearly a decade, as success on the European tour proved hard to come by, and money proved difficult to keep. I subsidised my, my, uh, the tour by coming back and playing in the region and on the satellite tour. It was called the satellite tour in my day, which is now the challenge tour. So I used to come back, play in primes, do okay in them because I was one of the better players and then I'd win the money. That would subsidise myself to go back on the main tour and I'd keep doing that for a few years and, and then eventually I went, I, 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 kept going, I kept going back to tour school. So I went to the tour school the first four years of my professional career and each time I went there I got my tour card and got back on tour. I never really had a sponsor which would have, which would have maybe helped because then I could have just concentrated on playing golf rather than having to worry about that, that thing called money, which, which is the devil's evil, you know, until you have it or you've had it. It, it, it makes, you know, I couldn't afford a caddy, a proper caddy in inverted commas. I couldn't afford the players' hotel back in the day. And I don't, it's not a violin story. A lot, of, a lot of the guys that have become successful have gone through this, uh, the same sort of path as me. But eventually, you know, you, 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 ba- you battle down, you work hard, you, you practice, you, you keep going and... Um, and, and eventually you hope you're going to, you know, do well. And, and then when you do well, the, the substance of money arrives. And now you think, OK, that's fine. I've got a, I've got a few quid. I can, I can do it properly now. And that's basically what happened. Although I did have a hiccup. I lost my tour card on the fifth occasion of going back to tour school. And I was on the Challenge Tour for two years. So Challenge Tour from uh, 94, 92, 93... And that was good for me, mentally, that was good. Because, you know, I, I was one of the better players on the Challenge Tour rather than being one of the sort of me, journeymen pros on the main tour. And that gave me, then I got my tour card through the Challenge Tour and then we're in 94. Now I'm settled in, I've done, I've done my sort of groundwork. I've done my apprenticeship, as you could put it. You know, I'm getting to know a lot of the players now. I'm back on tour. 
I'm hanging around with the likes of Richard Boxall, all the guys that commentate on Sky, they're all my mates now. Um, and, you know, once you, once you felt like you belonged, and it was like, like I called it a, a bit of a circus, really. It was like a merry-go-round. Because you were away every week, nearly 30, 30 weeks. Then in winter, you'd get invited to go to Pro-Ams. I went to Argentina a few times. I got invited by Vicente Fernandez. And I got to know all the Argentinian boys, Angel Cabrera, Eduardo Romero, all, all those guys. They were all great guys. We, we used to go there three or four times. Me, Paul Eels, Philip Walton, um, to name but a few. You know, and then you just keep going, basically. And then 95 arrives. Having managed to navigate the Challenge Tour, Bottomley earned and retained his European tour card for the very first time in 1994, finishing 121st on the money list. Things were starting to turn around for the 29-year-old, but life on tour in 1995 certainly didn't begin very well. Yeah, I got my card that year for 95, so I'm back on tour. I do actually remember I had probably the worst start ever. So, uh... No, I can remember. I know exactly where I was at. When I, building up to the Open, I'd only won 16,800 quid. And I'd probably played 16 events. And I wasn't playing great. Going into the Open qualifying, because obviously I had to qualify, I wasn't playing great. Moving into Open qualifying for the 124th Open in 1995, and having had a poor season to date, Bottomley's career earnings on the European Tour totaled just over £100,000 from 143 events. With 10 missed cuts in his last 13 starts, nobody, not even Bottomley himself, could have predicted what was waiting around the corner. And I need to tell you a story how, how that changed. So the qualifying to get in the Open, you play two rounds. I'm exempt to go to final stage due to the fact I'm on the tour. Uh, so I played the first round at Ladybank and I shot one over, 72, and I played dreadful. I up and down it eight times for one over. So I'm staying with a friend of mine in Creef. So we go back to the golf club and um, I've shot 72, I'm not playing great. So I said to Joe McCaddy, McCaddy actually convinced me to go and hit some balls on the practice ground that night. I'm teeing off in the morning. I went to the practice ground about four o'clock in the afternoon. Had a bit of lunch, went to the practice ground, sat there, trying to work out with a video where and why I'm not swinging it great. Three hours later, something weird happened. I, I kind of found a, a, a swing thought. It felt like it was in slow motion, this golf swing. I, I, went, I went on it with not a golf swing and I came off the practice ground with a golf swing. So I said to Joe, I said, all we've got to do tomorrow is birdie the first three holes and we're back to where everybody else is. So the first at Ladybank is a short par four. It's two iron wedge, I make birdie. The next hole is a long par five without bounds right and trees left. It's about three, 5.35 from memory. I knock it on in two, make birdie. I birdie the next, so I'm three under after three. I hang on, I make two more birdies in the next 15 holes. I get in a playoff, it was nine of us for eight spots. So one guy losing it. So I hit me two iron down the first or three iron and I airmail the green with a wedge. I chip it on to eight foot and I hole it from eight foot. I then wait for the next four ball. One guy made a bogey. That was it. We're all in. I'm like, wow. So then I said to Joe, all we need to do now in theory 
is we need to take that swing that we found on the practice ground and take it to St Andrews. So if we just take it to St Andrews and I swing it the same as I've done today, I was putting well. I thought anything could happen here. Anything could happen, indeed. This is Monday of the Open, so I'm, I've got no accommodation, straight into the uh, university accommodation, got a room each, got lucky, because obviously uh, it's very difficult to get accommodation at St Andrews, One of the, well, the, the, any Open is very difficult to get accommodation. So I am excited because the swing feels good, and because I've had all this, the experience I've told you about when I started the tour, I'm now not really phased, like imagine if it had been 87. Because it's 95 and what I've, you know, I've been to tour school, I won a couple of challenge tour events, I won local things, blah, blah, blah. I know it's not like the Open, but I kind of know people, you know. I'm not I, I'm not worried about seeing Langer or, or, or I mean, Tiger Woods played, that was his first Open as an amateur. He was on the practice ground. But I, I was more concentrated, like I keep saying, on this new swing that I found. And as I was practising, I realised that, that what I was aiming and what I was trying to achieve, the results were coming from it. I was thinking, if I keep doing this move and I'm seeing the ball go where I want it to go, and bearing in mind it was blowing a gale all week. And it's proving ever more tricky, Julian. The sun is shining brightly here on the old course. It's a glorious scene, but the wind is gusting ever more strongly as we enter the latter stages of this second round. So it was it was left to right going out, basically, all week. And it was 40 miles an hour, 30, 40 miles an hour all week. You couldn't you couldn't wear a hat, it just blew off. In fact, I, I didn't have a haircut, which is not which is a bit off the point for about three months before the open, because I never had a chance because I, I either missed the cut, all the hairdressers were shut. I had hair hair in those days. And when I got to the open, my hair looked like, looked like a scarecrow. So I wore a hat down and it kept blowing off. I said, I can't wear this thing. <laughs> That's why, if you ever look at my video thing that I put on uh, YouTube, I haven't got a cap on. <laughs> it won't stay on. <laughs> I wanted to hide my rough hair. It's like lockdown hair, before we ever heard of the word lockdown. <laughs> so two practice rounds, um, and away we go. After an opening round of 70 on Thursday, Bottomley shot 72 on the Friday to make the cut at two under par just four shots off the halfway lead. This alone was an unforeseen achievement, but Bottomley was intent on riding a wave of confidence through until the very end. Well, I ended up learning the course as as I played round one. You know, you had to draw it against the wind going out. You couldn't aim it left and, and the wind would just blow it. Like, it wouldn't go anywhere. You can't aim it left and allow the wind to blow it right because it, when it lands on them fairways which are rock hard it, it finishes in the bushes on the right you've got to and i was drawing it into the wind going out and fading it coming back um, stephen bottomley second tee sending it off low and left but you can see even that jeffrey is affected by the wind and that moves nicely up the fairway so the more times, what I'm getting at, the more times I was hitting these shots 
And the more times they were coming off, I was I was building building the confidence was just going up and up every shot I hit. Lovely shoulder turn, lovely balanced follow through. And it just moves a little bit, it'll move toward the hole. Well, a good shot by Stephen Bottomley. As the rounds progressed and I, and I made the cut, the confidence was building. Then I started putting even better. I was already putting okay. I started, the, the hole started looking bigger for some reason. It's, I, I don't know what that's all about. You'd have to ask other golfers that have had the same feeling. But uh, it just it just felt bigger and bigger. The hole it was it was fabulous. It was a great feeling to have. It doesn't happen very often. When it does happen, it's you got you got to nurture it and, and just take it on board. And to the extent this next comment is going to sound a bit cocky, I really didn't think I was ever going to miss a putt inside six foot. Headed the fourteenth, Stephen Bottomley. Yes. When I made the cut, it was great. It was great to make the cut in the open. Lovely. I'd never made the cut before in the opens I'd played in previously. With, with my history, I probably said till Friday I'd be leaving at the weekends. <laughs> but then obviously I, I said, Joe, go make sure we've got a room for the weekend. <laughs> Keeping his swing thought going, Bottomley continued to make the most of his long putting feel as he shot another very impressive round of 72 on the third day. Stephen with rounds of 70 and 72, 72. Very good scoring, two under par for the championship. This was uncharted territory for the Yorkshireman. No, I was never ever thinking about even contemplating winning the Open. I was just thinking about hanging on and uh, doing, sorry to sound like a Terry go again, doing the same as what I'd done the previous, if I include the qualifying day of round two and the practice days, just carry on doing the new swing thought that got me to where I am after, after three rounds. Getting on the tee, playing the first hole, swing thought, picturing the shot, concentrate on the yardage, get the right club, commit to the shot, go. That's all I'm thinking of, repeat. Heading into the final round, Bottomley lay at two under par, just one shot outside of the top ten, but seven shots away from Michael Campbell, the overnight leader, at nine under par. Bottomley didn't have any thoughts of winning the championship, but he was certainly feeling good about his day. Well, my parents came up. Uh, I was with my, I was with my caddy. I like I, I like to socialise, but I, did, I didn't do much of that really. I, we just had a quiet meal, had a couple of, a couple of beers and a glass of wine, and went to bed. I didn't really, can't say I slept very well. No, I don't think anybody would sleep very well if they're lying in the top 10 of any Open champ or any, any tournament really, but especially an Open. <laughs> you, 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 you go through your head of the holes and, and you, everybody will tell you this that's, that's ever done any good in a, in a championship. Yeah, you just rely on your swing and, and get up and, you know, do, do your routine and, and get to the first tee and start again, basically. Good afternoon and welcome to the old course at St Andrews. So much golfing history has been written here at the headquarters of the game and more will follow this afternoon. The final round of this, the 25th St Andrews Open. Well, the old course has shown all its moves just during the course of today. We've had sunshine and calm. We've also had winds gusting as strong as at any time over the last four days. Some heavy showers as well. But right now, the breeze is really blowing hard. And if these are the playing conditions for the afternoon, well, luck as ever will play its part. Feeling proud, you know. I'm out. I'm out. If, I'm, if ever I'm going to do anything at the Open, I'm. I, how do I put this? Winning from the front is much harder than 
than uh, what time did I tee off? Ten past one, I think, from me, or twenty past one. Uh, what time was Cambo off? He was off about ten past three, was he? Something like that. So I had, I had all morning. I was, you know, pretty relaxed. Go to the, go to the course, take some putts, have a coffee, have a bit of breakfast, uh, go to the practice ground, do the same thing as I'd done the previous, you know, five days really, six days, including the practice rounds. You know, you got to remember, I'm not. I'm going to that event. I've not done very well that year. Nobody's expecting me to to do anything really. I'm a journeyman pro, just playing another tournament. For for me personally, I tried to make it sound like it was just another tournament, but it had to be the open. It was the open. If I was ever going to pick a tournament to play well in, it was it was uh, middle of July. <laughs> Could have been the following week, and again we wouldn't have been having this conversation. <laughs> At 30 years of age, Bottomley was about to begin the biggest round of his life. He got off to a solid start. Obviously, you've got to obviously you've got to try and get off to a decent start. And it's again to repeat myself, it's blowing a hula. So I have it have it from memory, I think I've it three wood down the first. I had this great three wood at the time. Callaway, Callaway Big Bertha. Uh, which I've still got, I think, in the garage. And then I drew a five iron on the green. Left it short, about four foot short, going downhill, and hold it from about four foot. Swilkin burn just behind him, Steve Bottomley. Yes, it just started to move, but it was good for Bottomley. A good power on the first was somewhat of a nerve settler. Everything felt like it was moving. Everything. Even my nose, my ears, my hands. It felt like it was shaking. Because it's the first hole, and once you've got going, you, 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 your nerves, you know, you settle down a bit. So that was a key put, making par on the first. Pars on the second and third would follow, before birdies on the fourth and fifth suddenly put the Englishman on the radar. The Open's official website has more content than ever before. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos, as well as a host of feature articles, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of The Open Podcasts, and much more. Manoeuvring a little closer to the leaders and some unexpected names among them, Stephen Bottomley from Bradford has birded the fourth and the fifth, and he's gone to four under par in the last, what, 12 tournaments. He's missed the cut 10 times. He's playing in the last weekend, the last round of the Open Championship for the first time and doing very, very well indeed. He's having a day to remember. A bogey on the sixth after an approach left short was a small setback. And here is Stephen Bottomley, four under, playing the sixth hole. Well, that showed a little bit of disgust. I mean, if it gets, gets over the hill, it might not be too bad, but just not enough speed on it, and it's going to fall back into the hollow. But Bottomley righted the ship with a marvellous putt on the following hole. I made a great putt on uh, on seven. I, I didn't hit a very good pitch in there. And I, I, the, the front of the green there is there's a massive slope at the front, and the pin was way back. And I made a great long putt to about three foot in again. Steve Bottomley now just in front of the seventh, coming up that steep bank and down again. He's after it. Judged it beautifully. Come on. Well, look at that. Wonderful judgment, and you can see how delighted he is. Unfamiliar territory for Stephen, and sticking it really well. 
My long range putting was phenomenal. And if you're going to pick a, a time to have a good long range um, putting, do it at St Andrews because they're the biggest greens on planet Earth. <laughs> now the wind is off the right, coming into off the right on eight, and I've cut a four iron in there. Another great shot on the green, two putts. If you're getting through these holes in pars, it's it's like a birdie and a half. You know, it's it's a par on any of these holes. With this wind is just great. Then, then something weird happened. We get to nine, and I hit a, a good tee shot driver, faded it into the gale, and I kind of duffed my pitch. I duffed it to the front of the green. So I walk up, and what I used to do all week, because the greens are so long, I used to pace. I used to pace how far the, the, I was from the hole. So I'd, so I'd know, memory-wise, I'd be, you know, I'd go, oh, I was 22 yards away. So I'd go, this is a 22-yard putt, so this is how I'd hit 22 yards. Out to the nine, Steve Bottomley at the ninth. He's... So I was 26 yards away on this putt, and I hold it. <laughs> oh, he's, he's having his day, this 30-year-old Yorkshireman. One drop shot, three birdies out in 34, and absolutely delighted. By fluke. And that's when I jumped in the air. And I was fortunate if I had a, a sort of distant relation who, who had a camera and she was taking pictures as I was going around. And I've got that picture. About, I felt like I was 50 foot in the air, which I clearly wasn't, um, even though I was much lighter than, than I am now. With a picture-perfect putt, Bottomley moved to four under once more for the championship with a wonderful front nine of 34. That good play would continue, including a special shot on the par 3 11th. A part 10, and then I hit probably the best shot that I hit throughout the whole week, which unfortunately is not televised, was categorically the best shot I ever hit. So part three, for those that don't know it, and the green is long and thin. The pin was right over the bunker at the front, about 12 over that trap. The, get, the wind is off the left going 40 miles an hour. I'm on the tee and the stands, I can't feel the wind. The only way to get the golf ball on the green, you have to draw it into the wind. You cannot hit the ball left, you take the person out on the stand. So you've got to draw it into the wind. Now, if this shot does not come off, we're taking plenty. We're taking six. So I'm over clubbing to compensate for the gale. So I've hit this four iron up in the air, the apex of its fly, it, the wind hits it, it falls on the green to about 12 foot. That is like a par on that hole was like a birdie. So that was, get in the bag, let's get on the green, let's two putt and get to the next hole. That's exactly what I felt. I didn't even want to hold it. I didn't even, I thought the par here is off the graph. <laughs> then my next uh, par 12, par, thir uh, par 13, par 14, holding some good key putts from four or five foot. Headed to 14th, Stephen Bottomley. There's this putt for his par five. It's day four under. Yes. And Stephen only four, five holes away from his lifetime best performance here, if he can keep it going. Reaching the 15th hole in the final round of the Open Championship, Bottomley lay at four under par, and in a tie for third position. While John Daly was a few strokes ahead, Bottomley had just four holes to play and was working on one of the best rounds on the course in progress. He was not just looking guaranteed to record his best ever finish on tour, but Stephen Bottomley had a chance to win the Open Championship. 
But after finding the 15th fairway, there appeared to be trouble in paradise. 15 was my famous uh, discussion stroke, argument stroke, whatever you want to call it, with McCaddy, who wouldn't let me hit a particular club. Under the pressures we're experiencing watching these players, anything can happen, as has happened to this young fellow. Stephen Bottomley. On the win with the five iron, eh? Steve, it's too much twins across here. Steve, the wind is here. It's right on your back over there now. So I'm telling you, it's more like a seven nine smooth six. Maybe he's looking at the wrong hole. We're both looking in different directions here. He's told him to right take the seven, he wanted a five. Just put your normal swing on Normal swing. That's the one that's got me where I am today. Two minutes later, after discussing which club I was going to hit, I said, please give me the five iron, Joe. Well, that's funny, the caddy seemed to be looking for a different flag. And he went, no. No, I think no, I Trust the wind, Steve, trust the wind. Please give me a five iron. What are you doing? Trust the wind, Steve, look at it. This, 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 this is all shelter in you. Well, this is one of his best friends and known his game, caddying for him off and on for ever since he started to play professional golf. It'll be interesting to see who's right here. I hope, it, I hope it's the player for the caddy's sake. No, it's a six. Hit that one. Normal swing. So I hit the club that he wanted me to hit. I have to admit I was wrong. I hit the six iron. It was, it was perfect. Just past the pin. About 25 feet. Well, it's pretty good. I think if they went in between the five and the seven, they got it just about right. Stephen's sort of grimacing there, but I'd say that's fine. Yeah. Just keeps hitting greens and fairways. He's going to do a lot of himself a lot of good. He retain his card. He's a huge check and uh, a happy man tonight. He's only at the 15th four under. A massive swing off the right. Come along, come around, come around. He hasn't done it again, has he? He's done it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. If you ever get a chance to travel around that neck of the woods, that is some place to be. What a lovely smiley face. If you could do another couple of them, he might go home with the old jug. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting a little bit of... Uh, I'm on the leaderboard, and I'm kind of looking at it. I'm thinking, yes, I'm five under. I, I par 16, because I hit three iron, three iron, onto the 17th tee. Here's Bottomley on the 17th tee. See more or less what he's got to do. He's coming off the flat, then down and along. This is very difficult. See how everything falls away to the right. He's got to aim it left, and you do the best you can, but uh, it's very difficult to get close. putted it from the 17th tee down that little valley to about eight foot in. Yeah! Well done. Two holes left. It really 
this year. He's played in what, 20 tournaments and won 16,000 pounds. There he is. And what a great match. This is the best he's ever done. He's been in and out of the old qualifying school, 30 years of age. On the 17th hole, although Bottomley was not aware at the time, a 4-3 finish for the Yorkshireman would have secured a spot in a playoff. A four on the road hole, however, was far easier said than done. Stephen Bottomley at the 17th. Get on me 17th. Not a bad looking swing. Hit a beautiful drive down 17. Straight up and down. Very nice drive indeed, good position for the shot onto the green. 17, I get the wind totally wrong because when the wind's coming over the over the hotel, the old course hotel, it's swirling like you can't believe on that fairway. And we, we thought the wind was off the right and it was actually downwind. So I've pitched to three iron. If it had not hit the bunker, it'd have been it'd have been in the uh, in the burn. Bottomly at the 17th, uh, come on. Don't go in there. Keep it flat, just, oh, don't go in there. And I think he's pitched it straight in, has he? It looked, it was miles too much, even if he'd missed the bunker. We'll search with our little secret, our secret camber, camera. Well, that's disappeared somewhere. Uh, so it's in the it's in the famous 17th uh, Rodor bunker. Now, the only thing I'm thinking about here is getting it out. Now, this is the moment. A five and maybe a three at the last. And who knows? Because you, you just got it. I can't aim at the flag. I managed to get it out. Got to hit it hard enough. Don't decelerate. That's good. Very good. I get it out. Uh, I hit, not a great putt. I hit a terrible putt there because I couldn't read the I couldn't read the green. Oh, Caddy's getting a bit excited. They had a real argument a couple of fairways back. Did they? Oh yes. Made uh, that was bogey. So I'm back to four under. That's away to the right. I'll just get this in and maybe a three at the last. No worse than a four. Oh, and you will have uh, the best days of your life, my Not really thinking I'm four under. I'm just thinking I need to try and make birdie on the last, which now I'm so 18, I can reach, I can, even even back in the day, because I, it's down off the left, and the line there is just aiming it at the clock. So I just aimed it at the clock, and I hit a beautiful drive there. Bottom leap. Side of uh, home. I wonder where the wind is today. Right to left still helping a little, but not uh, perhaps as much as it's been in other days. I wonder, can he drive the green? Yeah. Oh, that's a good chase on. That's really racing up. That's not far away. In the practice round, all the uh, all the famous legends that had won the Open, they all have their uh, they all have their famous meal, don't they? Before uh, the likes of Nicholas and Trevino and Watson, they all have their past champions dinner, and we as young kids were on the 18th, and they were walking to uh, to their dinner, and later one of them one of my mates asked him a question, 
and, and, his, and his nice accent, Lee, Lee Trevino, says uh, to us lot, whenever you can put it, put it. Don't, you know, don't, don't chip it. So, and I was exactly, I hit the ball exactly where he was stood on the, on the Tuesday night. And I never got my sand iron out, a bit like Rocker did on, you know. <laughs> Grabbed straight for the putter. Mr. Bottomley, Alex, what do you think of this man then? Well, I'll tell you in a moment or two, because things could be wonderful here for him, or they could also, well, he's just getting to that valley, and let's see what happens. This second shot at the 18th. And put it up to about six foot below the hole, perfect. And he hasn't done too badly with it now, I'll tell you. He's, uh, he's going to have a very happy day. And Steve Bottomley, a few more performances like this if he pops that one in and he won't have to travel about in a sort of caravan sleeping out between events. Joe did a bit of his, uh, his press-ups on the greens and uh, I managed to hold it from six foot to finish five under. So I'm done now, I'm in, posted. Caddy horizontal on the ground, he's doing his press-ups. He's getting really worked up into a frenzy. This for 69. He's done it. Well done, sir. Five under sets the target. Look at that, 34 out, 35 home. Peter, do you think he'll have earned enough money to not have to go back for his card this year? Well, I hope he does. You can't, you can't shoot. I was the only guy, as you well know, to break seventy that day. Now, you, if you, if you, you've got to hold putts from six foot on in in that gale. So it was kind of in before I'd hit it. Yeah, I was checking. Yeah, I, nerves are nerves, aren't they? But you just keep focusing on what you're doing and what. If you keep hitting putts and they keep going in, it builds unbelievable amounts of uh, confidence. You know, end of my career, obviously went. <laughs> but that's another story. So now we're in, we're done, we're finished, I'm over. It's all over. I wish I was enjoying it then. <laughs> After a remarkable round of 69, the only sub-70 round recorded that day, the man known as Bots held a clubhouse lead in the championship and had set a difficult target to beat. Bottomley went in to sign his card but had a small scare when taking his card out of his pocket. Which is another interesting story, because I was that engrossed in playing the golf, I'd forgotten to sign uh, David Fertie's card. I hadn't, put, I hadn't even put a card, his score on the card. I get in the, uh, I get in the scorer's tent, I, look at, I pick his card out of my pocket, and they're in, a, they're in a number on his card. So I looked at Fierce, and I looked at myself, and I went, oh, what did he get on the first? And then I went, Joe, just come here a minute. He'd written them all down. Oh, oh. my caddy'd written them all down. What a result. Oh, God. Unusually, for me, everybody wanted an interview. So uh, by the time I'd done my, signed my scorecard and got all that ticked off, highly important, I then had an interview, I then had another interview, I then went in the press tent, I then had another interview. By the time I'd done all that, I hadn't even had a chance to look at a leaderboard. I was like, they were probably coming down 17. Bottomley's total of five under par for a short while appeared as if it would be enough to force at least a playoff, as John Daly, who had held a sizeable lead for much of the back nine, bogeyed 16 and 17 to lie at six under par. But after Daly parred the last, 
Bottomley knew the title was out of his sights. Still, as the conditions proved tough, the Yorkshireman's position continued to improve before sitting in a tie for second as the final group came up the 18th hole. And I stood on uh, just beneath the clock as they were as they were coming up uh, as they were coming up 18. I watched I watched Rocker duff that chip from about you know I stood there and he was there. Then I thought, ooh, that might make me second if he misses this. Then he held it, didn't he? I've had a laugh with him since then, you know, because I, I know I know Rocker quite well. So I've, had a, I've had a good laugh with him. <laughs> I said, you cost me about 20,000 quid, you. <laughs> back in the day, back in the day, I won 65 grand. They win about 800,000 now, don't they? <laughs> oh, dear. Funny. As Daly eventually claimed the claret jug and the dust settled on the 124th Open, Bottomley had a lot to feel proud of. His finish in a tie for third was his best ever result on the European Tour, and the £65,000 prize he won was the largest of his career. In fact, it nearly doubled his entire career earnings on the European Tour in one fell swoop and helped him achieve his career-high world ranking of 269th. Despite missing 10 of 13 cuts prior to the Open Championship, Bottomley retained his card for the 1995 season, finishing for the first time inside the top 120 in the order of merit at 61st. The following year, Bottomley enjoyed another Open Championship appearance, missing the cut narrowly at Royal Lytham, and again retained his European Tour card, finishing 99th in the money list. It was in 1997, however, at the 126th Open at Royal Troon, where Bottomley again wrote his name into the history books. This time, however, it wasn't for all the right reasons. The following year, I'm exempt, so I missed the cut by two, which I didn't. I didn't play as great. I didn't play bad, to be honest. But the year after that, I've got quite a funny story. What happened? So the year after that's '97. It's when Justin Leonard won. So I'm not exempt. I've got to go qualify again. So I win the qualifying. Because I've done well, 95, 96, I'm not out at 10 past 8. I'm now out at half past 12. <laughs> I get after 7 holes, it's downwind, it's pretty easy, but I'm 2 under par after 7. So the shortest par 3 on the postage stamp, it's 128 yards from memory. I'm trying to just hit a 3 quarter 7 iron, and I come over it a little bit, and there's a mound on your left. It hits the wrong side of the mound, it goes down the bank, and it finishes in a hoof print. Anyway, I hack it out, I take seven. So I go from two under to two over. The back nine at Troon is probably one of the hardest back nines of the, any of the open rotors, in my opinion. I missed, I shot 79. I get to the, uh, so I'm missing the cut. Anyway, I get to the postage stamp the following day, round two, and I'm on there, and whatever I am, I'm, I'm one over, I'm whatever I am, I'm missing the cut. Anyway, I do something similar, but worse. So I, I hit it back left on a bank. The, the roof is about... Uh, four foot high and my ball is elevated in the grass but it's not on the ground so i'm on the bank and i'm trying to i'm trying to work out where the ball is in relation to the ground anyway i take a swing and i miss the ball the ball just goes down about three inches so i miss it again i've had three and i walk off with a 10. so i have the record for the most shots on the shortest par three in the open 17 shots for two rounds Correct. 
Oh dear, it was a, it was funny because every time I hit it, trying to get it in there out of this roof back left, the crowd, the, all the crowds and the stands were going, ooh, ooh. I'm thinking, I felt like saying, don't matter, I've missed the court, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm going home, I'm, I'll watch this on TV when I get home. <laughs> Stephen Bottomley's career wasn't always a smooth ride, with struggles to keep his tour card being a constant presence in his mind and a lack of money often preventing him from being able to properly prepare for tournaments. But the Open Championship of 1995, one of four Opens Bottomley played, gave the Englishman the chance to do something special. Heading into the week with no form whatsoever, a three-hour practice session on the Sunday evening prior to the Open helped give the Yorkshireman enough confidence to finish just one shot shy the following Sunday evening. A truly remarkable story. The Open gave Bottomley security, stability and an awful lot of special memories to last a lifetime. You've got to imagine, because, because all I ever wanted to do was be a pro golfer and find how good I was in the, in the big picture. And I always ever thought that if I don't have a go, I'm never going to find out. People always ask me that. You've got to have a go. Should I turn pro? Why? If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna try, you're not gonna know, are you? If you're any good. So if you don't go to tour school and see if you can handle the pressure and get to the next level, you're not gonna find out. So that's why I always wanted to do. And when I realised it was a lot harder and I wasn't one of the better players when I got to the big stage, I didn't really know anything else really. So I was always, I just was always a battler. What always baffled me was when I. Why I didn't ever play as well. When I went to tour school, I used to play well, which is why I got my tour card every time. <laughs> and then when I got back on tour, I didn't really play as well all the time. I was like, why do I play well when I go to tour school? And why do I not do the same thing when I'm playing in like the Spanish Open, the Madrid Open, the whatever Open, the, the, you know, the rewards of, of, of finishing well, it it's obviously goes back to that subject called money, which is devil's the devil's evil thing. And that never really was a motivation for me. It was, it was the lack of it that allowed me not to do the same things as what my peers did, you know. And when I had the money, it wasn't like I went out and blew it all. It meant all of a sudden I could, I could if we were going long haul, I could turn left. <laughs> what I'm getting at is the reward from doing well in a tournament was the fact I could turn left. I could stay in a single room. I could afford a proper caddy. I could eat whatever I wanted. I could go to bed, do whatever I wanted. It didn't matter. So the rewards are the financial benefits. If you, if a back to front comment is not like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm rich, I've got a lot of cash. It's, oh, I can do what everyone else is doing. Because all the guys on the tour, they don't do it for the money. In my opinion, these, these top sportsmen don't do it for the money. They do it for the success. They do it for the to beat everybody else. Otherwise, if they did it for the money, they'd retire now, wouldn't they? They'd just sit there on the beach and not do anything. If you play well, I realise that. If you play well, the money will just come along. It just arrives and then it allows you to do what I've just discussed. If I'd have been thinking of how much money I was going to win on my six-foot putt on the last green, I'd have probably missed it because I wouldn't have been focusing on what I were doing. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the money at all. It never entered my head. It used to, because I didn't have any. <laughs> well, clearly they opened to me due to the fact I finished tied third. And it's the biggest golf tournament on planet Earth. And I managed to achieve it at the home of golf means paramount to me. Paramount. I love it. 
I think it's it's history. Everything about it is just um, unconditionally the one to win and the one to actually do well in, in my opinion. With thanks to Stephen Bottomley. Narrated by me, Shane O'Donoghue. Written, produced and edited by Chris Lewis. Executive produced by Paul Sutcliffe. If you've enjoyed our Tales of the Open podcasts, head to The Open's YouTube channel today to enjoy reimagined video versions of several episodes which combine audio descriptions of memorable open moments with archive championship footage. This has been an original audio production from The Open.